Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good evening. Tonight we will be doing a collaboration with 10 narrators, including myself. This is my way of trying to give back to some of those who did help me when I first started not so long ago. So if you enjoy their work, please do go in the description, find their links and maybe subscribe. Thank you. So, without further ado. I recently rented out a small cottage in the countryside for a week. I was going to go with a friend, but the bastard cancelled last minute. I had to go anyway because the deposit was non-refundable. The cottage itself was semi-detached with the owners living in the other house. It was surrounded by woodlands and was up a dirt track from the village. The owners were a sweet elderly couple and this cottage was lovely. They greeted me when I arrived. They were kind but seemed oddly disappointed when I told them my friend couldn't make it. I spent the rest of the day hanging around the cottage after the long drive up. The first night, I went to bed quite early, about 9 o'clock, so I could get a good night's sleep before I went out the next day. Not 10 minutes after I'd gone to bed, I heard the most disturbing noise from next door. The owners having sex. Sadly, this isn't the end of this horror story. This shit went all night, there was hooting and screeching noises, it didn't sound human. I was exhausted and I hadn't even done anything yet. The next morning, I confronted the landlady about it, and she wasn't happy. I told her, you know I could hear you last night doing what you were doing. She replied, well next time, you can join in if you want, love, followed by a loud cackle. Can you please just keep it down a bit, I asked politely. She then gave me the most hate-filled look I've ever seen from anyone in my life, bearing her crooked yellow teeth. She didn't say anything. She didn't even blink. I slowly backed away into the cottage, but she stayed there, in the same position, with the same facial expression for hours. At first, I assumed she was just having a moment. Old people do, right? But after eight hours, when it was starting to get dark... The husband arrived home, picked up his wife and carried her back into the house like it was nothing. Not long after I called it a night, just when I was drifting off, a dark figure emerged out of my cupboard. I assumed I was just seeing things until I sat down on my bed and revealed itself to be the landlord. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't utter a word. He began rubbing my thigh while looking down at me with a large grin stretched from ear to ear. You upset my darling wife, he said. I was still speechless, unable to move. She's very sensitive at the moment, but don't worry, the mating season is over now, and you can have a decent night's sleep. He got up, bent over me, and kissed me on the forehead, as if I was his child. 
Sweet dreams, he softly spoke as he walked back into the cupboard. I was paralyzed by fear, staring into nothing all night until the sun rose. When daylight finally arrived, I summed up what courage was left in me to check the cupboard. I opened it, and of course, there was no one in there. It was clear that there was a door connecting the two cottages. It was either I leave and never look back, or I go and check out their cottage and find out what the fuck has been going on. I waited until I was sure the owners were gone, and when I hesitantly pushed open the door, to my surprise, the house seemed perfectly normal. I explored the whole cottage apart from the basement, which was locked. I was disappointed but relieved at the same time, and decided it was probably time to leave and never come back. That was until the front door opened. I scrambled behind the couch and watched as the landlord carried his wife, who seemed distressed and was panting heavily, and placed her on the floor. The woman lay still on the floor until a hand burst out of her mouth. A humanoid creature, slightly smaller than the average man, crawled out of her skin. I don't know how to explain it exactly, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but it was scrawny and sopping wet, with hairless, light grey skin and vacant eyes. I was revolted and bewildered, but that was nothing compared to how I felt when this creature proceeded to give birth. It shrieked as the baby creature fell out of it. The landlord picked it up, walked to the basement door, unlocked it, and took the creature down. When he walked back up from the basement, behind him were two other creatures who I assumed were the couple's other offspring. There's only one person staying with us, so only one of you will get their skin today, he announced. The creatures began arguing over who would get their human skin first, until the landlord exclaimed, Enough! He grabbed the slightly larger one and told him, You will kill him, skin him, and prepare his insides for your mother. She will need a feast tonight. The landlord and his son entered into my cottage as the landlady and the other creature disappeared into the basement. At that moment, I made my escape, ran out the front door, and got into my car. I started the engine and stepped my foot down on the accelerator. I didn't care how fast I was going. That's when I heard a deafening shriek out of nowhere. I looked in my rearview mirror to see the landlord standing dead still, watching my car as it pulled out. I made it out alive. The Real Scream Queen Todd finally found a place in Los Angeles he could afford. It was an old rundown building on the edge of a park, ten stories high, without an elevator. But he was up to the challenge, and going up and down those ten stories would keep him in shape. Move-in day was horrific. He hadn't really considered how to get his stuff up there. But with a lot of friends and multiple shifts with a dash of energy drink, anything is possible. Wiped out, he sprawled on his couch checking out the magnificent view. He'd finally had the guts to come to Hollywood to go after his acting dream, and he couldn't have been happier. Well, a girlfriend would be nice, but maybe one day. Todd felt stiff and worn out. It was late and his eyes closed. When an 
ear-shattering scream jolted him awake. He rushed to his feet, out his door towards the opposite apartment. Another scream came from within. Without much thought, he banged on the door. He backed up, preparing to barrel it down with his shoulder. As his momentum propelled him forward, the door opened. He caught himself quickly, taking in a beautiful young blonde. Hey. She whispered cutely. You okay? He threw back, taken by her calm. It was a spider. (sighs) Todd stepped back relieved. What type of spider? A golden orb. Huh? He, He knew that spider. Out of the hundreds of species of spiders he didn't know, she picked pretty much the only one he did. An Australian spider he had met on vacation a few months back. We have golden orbs in California? She shook her head. Nah, it's for a movie. Todd was confused. Picking up on it, she smiled and motioned him in. Inside was a microphone stand, surrounded by egg cartons. On a large TV screen was a golden orb spider. Todd could tell it was some kind of recording studio set up, and by judging the wall of awards, he knew she was great at whatever she did. What's it for? I specialize in screaming. Screaming? For film, TV, radio. If people need a scream, they come to me. Tonight, I'm in Australia. Tomorrow night, I get to run from aliens. She could tell he was genuinely interested, so she gave him the rundown. Every scream has a nuance. Every scream has to fit just right, or it won't feel real. That night, they talked into the early hours of the morning. He was drawn to her every word. And when it came time to say goodnight, he left reluctantly. He woke up at two in the afternoon. He had slept really well and wanted to see her again right away, but didn't want to come off like a stalker. So he ran down the stairs and went for a long jog. As he walked along the hallway to his place, she peeked out of her door. She had a huge assignment was going to be busy for the entire week, but hoped they can get together when it was done. He admired her dedication and it made him like her even more. That week he went about his life outside of the building, but every night after climbing up those ten stories and catching his breath, he sat in his room listening to her scream. He began to really understand those nuances. On Saturday night, Todd's friends came over. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. As they sat there, her screaming started again. His friends were noticeably alarmed. As they rushed to their feet, Todd couldn't help but to chuckle. After stopping them, he told them all about her, that she was a scream queen. They could tell how keen on her he was. With a finger to his lips, he asked for silence. She screamed again. That, he said, is her running from a vicious killer. And that is her desperately calling for help. And that is her last breath, knowing help isn't coming. Todd smiled. 
confident he knew her nuances. His friends left in the early hours of the morning and he crashed. Banging jolted him awake. Todd, dreary, opened his door. Two police officers stood there. Behind them, Todd saw others in the apartment across the hall analyzing streaks of blood. Sir, do you know your neighbor? He nodded. Did you hear her screaming last night? He nodded again. And you didn't think to call anyone? He later found out she died viciously. She had been chased to her door where she desperately cried for help. If only Todd had realized. Todd sat alone in his apartment, numb. There was only one thing he wanted to do now. Scream. Ah! I've always had a strange obsession for coffee. I'm not sure why, but I think it's the warm feeling of the hot liquid going down my throat and into my stomach. I think it's the fact that it warms me to the bone. Moving on, however. I sat at the table drinking my cup of coffee. God. I love my job, I thought to myself with a grin on my face and a cup of coffee in my right hand. I glanced across the table to my friend. If you're not going to drink your coffee, then why did you ask me to make some? He kept silent, a blank look in his eye as he stared at me. I shrugged. More for me. I reached across the table and slid the mug of coffee in front of me. I took one more long sip of my own cup, finishing it off in one large gulp. I returned to the paper in front of me, sketching a few things while I moved on to the cup I had taken from him. I yawned deeply into my sleeve, pausing my writing for only that. I frowned when I looked back up to my friend. David was his name, from what I recall. I glanced over to the TV in the kitchen, listening to the news anchor with breaking news. This just in. Yet another body has been found. I frowned. The body was found late last night, rolling down the little river. It had multiple lacerations and had the word fear, with the number three replacing the key carved into his stomach. Police are yet to let out any further information. This has been Action News, reporting to you live. I sighed after the newscast ended, looking over to David a bit tiredly. It appears they found my work, David. Now, it's only a matter of time until they find you. 
I got up and walked over to the lifeless, pale body. It had a smooth laceration, nearly surgical, along the throat area, severing the carotid artery. I peeled his shirt off his body while sliding out a butcher knife from one of the nearby drawers. I then slid my gas mask on. I brought the knife upon his stomach, beginning to carve TH3 into his stomach. His warm blood splattered along my shirt as I severed multiple veins. My gloves had blood painted on them when I stabbed the bloody butcher knife into the wood table, letting it stick. I adjusted my mask with my gloved hand and made my way out the back door. I sprint into the woods behind his house while reaching for my cell phone. I dialed 911, having just thought of a marvelous plan. 911, what is your emergency? I responded in my tired voice. Yes. I'd like to report a murder. Okay. Where has the murder taken place? Sir? Well, where would be the fun in that? I turned around and whipped the phone towards the house. I wasn't far, so it only hit the grass in the backyard when I turned around and ran off through the trees. The next day I drove by the house. The cops were still there examining the crime scene further for who knows what. They'd be looking for me now, but... That would just add on to the fun of this all. God, I love my job, I thought to myself, as I drove off towards the highway to get out of this place. For now. So, I've only been to Disney World twice in my life. The first time I went was 10 years ago. I went with my family, who consists of my two brothers, my mother, and my father. And 10 years after our initial visit, they decided to treat me and my brothers to a trip to Disney World for doing well in school. They brought us during February, which was weird, considering that we would have our summer vacation in a few months. But to be fair, it was really quiet there, so that was good. One of my favorite rides to go on was Splash Mountain. But before all that, my parents figured that my brothers should choose the rides first, as I got to choose them 10 years ago. I agreed, and we had a very fun time. But as the park began to close though, we began to head for Splash Mountain. I said to my family that I had to go to the bathroom, and my mother asked me to take my little brother with me, as he had to go as well. Now, just to clarify, my little brother is 10 years old, and my older brother was 18 years old. I obliged and went with him to the bathroom. 
When we returned, no one was there. It was just like a ghost park. My brother asked where our family was, and just as I was about to talk, we saw lights on in Splash Mountain. I decided that maybe our family was waiting inside for us. Me and my brother walked in to find nothing. No family, no Disney security guards, nothing. I was about to leave when my brother said he wanted to go on the ride. I wanted to say no, but I couldn't think of any reason to. Looking back on this now, I really wish I had just gotten the hell out of there. But of course, I had no way of knowing what would happen on that ride. We boarded the boat and my brother seemed really excited. I would be too if it weren't for the fact that our family couldn't find us and we couldn't find them. I mentioned this to my brother and he told me to just make the most of the ride as it'll be the last time we'll be coming down here for a while. I realised he was right and just tried to enjoy the ride. The first odd thing about this ride was the animatronics. Now these animatronics are from the film Son of the South and they try to entertain you throughout the ride. However, I noticed that the white bird's eyes were fixated on me and my brother. I didn't mention this to him as I didn't want to creep him out. But when I looked back, they were still staring intently at us. Then we passed Bear Fox and Bear Bear, but they weren't the same. Bear Bear had a truly horrifying look on his face and had a sharp axe. Bear Fox had really sharp teeth and had a truly hate-filled look about him. They spoke, but they were so quiet that I couldn't hear them properly. However, I could make out one word. A word that nobody would think to hear in anything Disney related. I heard Bear Fox say, Murder. I couldn't believe it. I thought that this was a dream. So I pinched myself, but I then realized that it was all real. But then I thought, Disney wouldn't do something like this, would they? The Laughing Place song started to play, but something was off about it. I didn't know what was off, but I knew that it wasn't the same fun song as I had heard 10 years earlier. I knew at that point that I had to get off this ride, but I couldn't. I then heard my brother scream. I asked him what was wrong and he pointed at something. It was one of the animatronics lying face down in the water, not moving an inch. There seemed to be defensive wounds on his body, meaning that the thing fought back viciously to survive but succumbed to his injuries. There was a red liquid, presumably blood, that had surrounded its body. There was only one problem. I didn't recognize this animatronic from Son of the South, or any Disney movie to be exact. My brother started crying and I told him in a comforting voice that it wasn't real, but Deep down, I wasn't sure whether it was real or not either. 
Then we saw that Bear Fox and Bear Bear had captured Bear Rabbit. The rabbit looked legitimately upset and pleaded with the two to let him go. Bear Bear then went on to brutally and horrifically decapitate him. Blood seeped from his open neck as his severed head floated into the water, never to be seen again. Bear Fox and Bear Bear then looked at us and started laughing. Not playful or even kid-friendly laughing. This sounded threatening and the way I imagined a deranged psychopath would laugh. My brother screamed and I threw up into the water. The waterfall came around but at this point we were too scared. We just wanted to leave. The waterfall was our favourite part of the ride though, so we tried our best to enjoy it. We went down the waterfall and we screamed out of excitement and terror for what had happened previously. When we dropped down to the bottom of the hill outside, I said, Did you enjoy the waterfall, brother? No answer. James? Nothing. I looked left to see that my brother wasn't on the boat anymore. I was hysterical. As I passed by more animatronics, I screamed at the top of my voice that my brother was missing and I didn't know where he was. I didn't get any sort of response, but I swear I could hear one of the animatronics quietly saying, Good. The rest of the ride was a blur, and I spent the rest of it crying and screaming for James. After the ride, the boat stopped at some platforms, and I was both thankful that the nightmare was finally over and worried as my brother had disappeared in what was often nicknamed the happiest place on earth. I took out my phone and tried to call my parents, but my battery had died. Fuck, I'd forgotten to charge it before I arrived. Just then, the lights went out and I heard loud footsteps from the darkness of the platform. It kept walking until it reached the edge of the platform. My boat started rocking. It rocked so much that I actually thought I was going to fall off and into the water where I would subsequently drown. I started crying again. All I wanted to do was to find my brother and get the hell out of there. And then I heard one word that I still remember today. Whatever was on the platform somehow was able to whisper into my ear. James. I got out of that ride so fast I don't even remember running. My family was waiting outside for me. I was stuttering like crazy, telling them about all the scary shit that I had seen on Splash Mountain. When I eventually told my parents that my brother James was missing, the look on my mother's face was one of pure sadness and heartbreak. At that moment, I wanted to die.
I couldn't believe that my brother, my own brother, was missing. And it was completely my fault. The police were called and around an hour later, they somberly informed us that my brother was found dead in the water. He was at the very bottom of the sea. My mother burst into tears then and there, while me, my father and my older brother quietly cried to ourselves. At first, I'd figured that my brother had just drowned. But the autopsy revealed something interesting. My brother had actually died from extreme head injuries, not from the water. I still, to this day, cannot explain that. Life hasn't been the same since. My mother and father don't speak to me anymore. My older brother turns erratic when he's in the same room as I am. James's funeral was really sad. Lots of mourners came and paid respects to him. I often think about the figure that I heard on the platform and what its intentions were. I also think a lot about what me and James saw in the water that night and how James met an eerily similar face, besides the blood obviously. Maybe that thing that we saw lying face down in the water that night wasn't really an animatronic. The flakes of falling snow melted instantly when they struck the hot undercarriage of the overturned car. And as the front wheels finally stopped spinning, Kelly, the shopkeeper, pushed her way to freedom through the shattered windshield. Her injuries were numerous and painful, and the events of the past week flashed through her mind. She could no longer tell herself that it was all a coincidence, or a case of rotten luck. The divorce, the burglary, and the sudden death of her puppy weighed like an anchor in her heart. She freed herself from the mangled sedan, and a bolt of pain struck her. Her right leg was broken in multiple places, dashing any hopes of walking. Only moments before, as her car was veering into the ditch, Kelly knew the curse was real. This cemented the reality of it. If she at least didn't try to put an end to it, she knew she wouldn't live to see another day. No cars passed her, no good Samaritans came to her aid, and no sirens were approaching from the distance to save her. She was alone, broken, and freezing. The snow fell heavier as she dragged herself the mile and a half back to her shop. The weighty flakes piled up quickly, covering the blood that trailed behind her. It was a benign, common action at the time. Kelly even laughed at the prospect of a mythical curse when she took his picture without permission. She giggled at those supposedly afflicted with the curse, and the most certainly fabricated travesties that befell them. Kelly felt in heart that it was all false, a baited concoction of retail devised to push a few more wares. To put an end to silly, albeit profitable, curse, Kelly had arranged the purchase of the item for a limited-time-only display event. 
It wasn't until much too late that she was crippled with regret. Once, she tried to apologize, but that insincere and half-hearted apology was simply not good enough. His curse is powerful and not so easily fooled by empty words and condescending smirks. Maybe, she hoped, maybe her pain-filled words of sorrow will penetrate his stoic exterior and resonate enough that he will reverse everything the awful curse had caused. It was a nice thought, but quite unlikely. The best outcome would be that no longer would the torturous misfortunes continue. She had already lost so much and she just wanted it to stop. She fully believed in the curse now and wanted him to see how much she truly regretted disrespecting him. Only half of her fingers were fully functional due to frostbite setting in rapidly, but she managed to unlock and open the front door. She pushed on the glass, then the wind took over, blowing the door open with a torrent of fresh snow that blanketed the entryway. In one move, she was able to roll inside and shut the door behind her. The shop fell quiet. In the shadows against the far wall, she saw him, sitting in his chair and mocking her pain. Close was her redemption or her death. She was ready to accept either. Her skin paled due to blood loss and her muscles weak as she pawed at the carpet, dragging herself towards him. His menacing eyes only stared ahead as if he pretended not to notice her. She reached for his small foot, her words already begging. Robert the doll waited patiently for the apology he deserved. When I was 19 years old, I worked as a counselor in a summer camp. It was really gorgeous, with wooden cabins and a lake, but it was in the middle of nowhere. The camp was surrounded by dense woods. There was nothing but trees and canyons, and the closest town was over 20 miles away. One night, when everyone had turned in and everyone was sleeping soundly, I was suddenly awoken in the middle of the night. It was one of those times where you wake up and you have the feeling that something is not quite right. My heart was racing for no apparent reason. I just lay there quietly, listening intently. The whole cabin was wooden, with fly screens over the windows, so I could hear the sound of crickets and the breeze blowing through the trees. That's when I heard it. A very faint cry for help. It sounded like something was coming from the woods. It was the cry of a young girl lost somewhere out there. I quickly got out of bed and I woke up my roommate. He was the other counselor. I told him to listen. 
That's when we both heard it. We quickly got dressed, grabbed our flashlights, and hurried outside in the direction the sound was coming from. It was intermittent, but I could clearly hear the girl's voice saying, Help! I'm lost! She was quite a ways in the woods. She sounded like she was in a lot of distress. The quicker we found her, the better. So we can get her back to camp safely. It was dark as hell that night. And all we had to light our way were two puny flashlights. The girl was out there in the pitch black with no way of seeing anything at all. The boys cabin were on one side of the lake and the girls were on the other. On the way, we ran into a female counselor. She had heard the cries from her side too. All three of us headed into the woods together, shining our torches left and right and calling out for the lost girl. We were reluctant to go any further into the woods because we didn't want anyone else to get lost. Whenever we called out to the girl and heard her respond, it sounded like she was quite far in. After walking for about five minutes, we could hear her crying and sniffling, so we knew we were close. It sounded like she was only a few feet away, and we could hear her saying, I'm scared. Where am I? In a low voice. We kept trying to reassure her, and just when we felt we were getting close to her, she suddenly went silent. We're here! We're here! Where are you? We called out, but there was no answer. Then, in the distance, we heard her voice again, crying. Help me! I'm lost! Come quick! We started toward the sound of her cries, and just when we felt we were right on top of her again, she went silent. We called out to her. We waited for her reply. Nothing. Then, from even further away, we heard her voice again. Help! Why can't you help me? Something didn't feel right. We all looked at each other without a word. We decided to head back to camp. We called out to the girl and we told her we were going to get help and we would come back with a search party. We could still hear her faint whispers and crying sounds. So we told her to sit tight and we would be back soon. The three of us sprinted back to camp and rang the big bell at the main office to alert the whole camp that there was an emergency. The camp manager switched on the floodlights and we all met in a quad for a roll call and head count. They started by calling the names of the counselors. We were all present. Then, they called the names of the campers. All of the kids were present. Nobody was missing. They went through the roll twice and three times. Every single person that was meant to be at the camp was checked off in present. But what about the voice of the girl? Who was she? 
The camp manager and the other counselors thought it was a false alarm. They said it must have been our echoes from our own voices. They dismissed everyone and sent us back to bed. The three of us knew what we had heard and it wasn't an echo. It was creepy as hell. The voice kept leading us into the woods further and further. Someone or something was luring us deeper into the woods and to this day, I have no idea what it intended to do to us. This was by far the creepiest thing I have ever experienced. Myself and the female counselor believed it was something paranormal, but neither of us could explain it. The counselor was my roommate. She refused to talk about it, and whenever we brought it up, he would say it was just voices echoing. But when I looked in his eyes, I could see that he was scared to death. He just wanted to convince himself it didn't happen. I'm in this room again. Everything feels familiar. The empty space, the simple chair, the bed and desk space, and the same window. The only question is, why am I here again? Silence. Was it something that I did wrong? What is my crime this time? How far down have I broken? Or rather, who have I broken? Did someone die? Or am I dead? Is that even a question I can ask? Silence. This room doesn't seem so bad. There seems to be at least some life. Aside from the dust that has accumulated, but something keeps calling to me. It's just beyond the walls, but I can't reach it. I become quieter and hear it tell me, It's not safe! I ask the voice what I had to fear. Silence. I continue to listen to the voice, body pressed against the wall. The voice continued speaking, almost as if it was a voice I recognized. Be careful. Don't let them know. If they discover the truth, they'll throw you out. You'll become an outcast. Silence. I didn't know how to respond to this. Constant stream of warnings and worries, the voice beginning to grow louder and louder, the messages echoing all around me, and the walls beginning to decay. I wanted to hide under the bed, remove my head, anything to escape and find silence. The voice of reason was gone. And in its place was a far, darker tone. I continued to hear murmurs all around me, slowly growing louder and louder, the speech growing less coherent and beginning to sound like babble. I tried to grasp for peace and longed for silence. The color of the walls began to fade away from pristine white to decaying black. The wallpaper peeled like skin and ink, oozed onto the floor in heaping clumps. The voices around me continued to echo, the context becoming toxic like the room. There's no hope. Give up and die. Silence. The voices grew hostile, trying to instill more and more fear into me. 
They called out my worst regrets and worst nightmares. They told me how I should fear everything and continued to ask why I had no fears. They began to mock me in a jumbled fashion. If you fear nothing, then why are you afraid now? Silence. The air around me began to thicken like a blanket. The air itself vibrated with the voices as they had risen to a vibrant roar. He bellowed fear into my ears, forced the sounds down my throat, began to choke me. If you're not afraid, then why don't you die? Death is such a pleasant escape. Why don't you take it? Silence. I cried in pain as the voices moved and commanded the air. They were all around me and forced the room to fall. The walls began to crumble, stone cascading down. The light from beyond the window was gone and pitch dark. The chair, the bed, and floors were rotting away. The voices continued to scream and shout as the walls came down. Silence. The room was gone. The rubble I was in had vanished, and I stood alone in an empty space with no light and no way out. The voices had faded now to a low hum. I could barely breathe and felt myself suffocating. The voices were fading and so was I. The voices were about to grant me silence. The air began to fade. I gasped, hoping to provide my lungs with relief. But it never came. The voices were gone, and so was everything else. There was nothing left to me but a void, and I feared it more than anything before it. What I feared now was not the calls of paranoia. What I feared now was the silence. Last fall, I started college. I hated it. The classes were hard, the people were cold, I had a hard time making friends. And then there was Addison. Addison was my roommate. We were randomly assigned by computer, and it couldn't have been more obvious. We had nothing in common. I was a nerdy, self-conscious tall girl that frequented the computer labs. She was a blonde, petite softball player that spent her Saturday nights partying and her Sunday mornings in church. She was friendly enough. When we both happened to be in the room at the same time, she'd say hello. Sometimes she'd borrow my shampoo, without asking of course. Sometimes I'd borrow one of her fancy schmancy granola bars in retaliation. Generally things were okay, even though they weren't great. Until the night of October 19th. I got back late from an engineering class. As I felt the chill leave my cheeks in the warm hallway of our dorm, I heard a scream from our room. Addison. Then she yelled. No! Get out! I ran to the door, shoved my key into the lock. I thought I was about to stumble on an attempted rape. Addison didn't exactly hang with the best crowd, and she had a posse of frat guys that followed her like bees after honey. Addison, 
Are you okay? She was alone. Just lying there, crumpled on the bed, all by herself. When she heard me, she whipped around in surprise. Oh, sorry. I must have fallen asleep. She said. She sat up and stretched. Sorry. What were you saying? No, just... I heard you yelling. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Must have been talking in my sleep. Haven't done that since middle school. She let out a little giggle. Sleeping. My eyes fell on the bed where her phone lay. It was mid-call with someone. I could see the little phone icon on the screen, see the numbers timing the length of the call. Were you on the phone with someone? No, I was asleep. I stared at her. Um, okay. I decided not to press it. Maybe it's just a fight with a hometown boyfriend or something. Or her parents. But then why did she say get out? No one was in the room with her. The next week went by without anything too exciting. My classes got a bit harder, and I spent more and more time over at engineering school. Every night, by the time I got back to the dorm, Addison was already asleep. I could hear her light snores coming from across the room, see her cross necklace dangling from the jewelry hook on her dresser. On Friday night, I got home a little earlier than usual. I didn't have a problem set due until Tuesday, so I figured I'd relax a bit. As I walked down the hallway, it was dead silent. The light flickered overhead, and I felt a chill course through my body. I've never seen the building this empty. I immediately shook my head, trying to extinguish the thought. There's nothing wrong with the dorm being empty on a Friday evening. People go into town, hang out with their friends. Some even take trains into the city for the weekend. The light flickered again. And besides, there probably are people here. They're just sleeping or on the computer or something. My footsteps softly thumped across the carpet. The gold 21 screwed to our door came into view. I pulled out my keys with a jingle and put them into the lock. I twisted the doorknob. The room was dark. Addison out partying as usual, I thought to myself with an eye roll. I set my backpack down against the dresser, unhooked my bra, and climbed into bed. I pulled out my phone, scrolled through Reddit, sent off a text to my mom. The silence remained. The minutes ticked by and I realized I hadn't heard a single sound in almost 20 minutes. My heart began to pound. A prickly, uncomfortable sensation crept up to my arms, up to my neck. Something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong. I looked up from the phone. The dim glow of the screen lit up the room in a soft glow. The shadows were black and blurred, but as my eyes adjusted to the dark, they came into view. There was something on Addison's bed. Something long, stretching up to the ceiling. I squinted in the darkness. It was Addison. Standing on the bed, her head almost touching the ceiling, staring down at me. I yelped and jumped back. Addison, what are you doing up there? I shrieked. You nearly gave me a heart attack. She opened her mouth. It seemed to stretch wider than ever before, in a sunken O shape that was blacker than the shadows around her. I already got the others. I ran out of the room, down the hallway. I could hear the thump, thump, thump of footsteps pounding behind me. I raced down the stairs. The lights flickered. I swung open the door. Then I collapsed, gasping in the cold, crisp air. They found the bodies the next day. Seventeen people total. All of them found dead in their rooms. Cause of death? Asphyxiation. 
even though none of them were hanging from ropes or showed any signs of being strangled. Addison herself was found dead in our dorm room, splayed out across her bed, the cross hanging from her neck, upside down. Thank you so much for watching and listening. I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to my friend Zombiecorn, who uh, aided me with the female parts in this story. You can check out her channel in the end card afterwards. I will see you guys in the next one. This happened back in May of 2017. My stepdad was a truck driver for Affiliated Foods. He took loads to places such as Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico. He was able to have company with him on these trips because they were short. And I wanted to go with him. It was 1 a.m., pitch black. We were in Texoma when this happened. We were having one of our normal stepdad stepson conversations. When we look over outside the windshield and we see a seven foot dog rat creature with a fluffy tail run across the road, we looked at each other like, What in the absolute hell was that? The trip pretty much went uneventful besides that. We made it there safe and made it home. It was New Year's Day, 1995. I was in the middle of my third year of university, and a bunch of friends had come down to visit me and my roommate for the festivities. We were all pretty hungover from the drinking the night before, and went out for the usual nice day out, a bit chilly, I don't feel so good, post-greasy breakfast hungover stroll around the neighbourhood. Two of these friends were twin brothers. One of them we hung out with all the time. The other we just met for the first time. He was pretty normal the night before, joining in the fun. But on this day, we were all hanging around a local basketball court shooting hoops with an old basketball we'd found in the grass and this twin brother kept following me around all over the place with the creepiest grin I'd ever seen in my life. He was staring right into the nether regions of my soul the whole time. I'd back away and join the group again, and he'd keep following me around. When we were walking back to the apartment, it was just me and him walking down the sidewalk behind the group. And he moved over in front of me, stared at me with that creepy look again and fell down to his knees as if to worship me or something. I didn't know what to do. Hey, buddy, um, you alright? We're heading back now, right? And so on. He wouldn't say anything. He'd just be there on his knees, looking up at me with a clenched face and squint eyes, as if he were looking directly into the sun or something. Later that day, my roommate said he was tripping, so I thought nothing of it and moved on with my life. A few weeks later, we got a phone call from the twin brother we usually hung out with, 
and it turns out that this other twin brother went over to his aunt's place with a knife and stabbed her 14 times. She didn't die, but, you know, still pretty bad. He had even called the police before going because he knew he was going to do it, but he couldn't stop himself from doing it because, you know, the voices and so on. The ensuing court case was widely covered in the media as this was a relatively smaller community where this sort of thing doesn't happen on a regular basis. I was reading one of the articles and one of the testimonies was that the twin brother was severely schizophrenic and was hearing voices in his head. He believed to his very bones that his aunt was the devil and that he had been commanded by God to go and kill her. So... There was this God that told him to kill her. Well, as the newspaper article described, it was a guy in a group he hung out with on New Year's Day. It didn't take me long to realise that he was talking about me. This was 22 years ago. I know for a fact it was a mental illness, but just knowing that I had somehow commanded him to go kill his aunt stays with me to this day. Number 2. I once worked as a live-in staff member in a college dormitory. During the summer we housed the few summer school students who remained on campus. One day my office received a call from the concerned sibling that she had her family was unable to reach her brother who lived by himself in a room in the summer school floor. This wasn't unusual as our office frequently dealt with students avoiding their family due to the frayed nerves or general social awkwardness. Our normal protocol to check on a student is to try reach them by our emergency contact information. Failing that, we would go check their room to verify their living in the building and perhaps available then and there, then have them call their family to verify we followed up on the original request. Also, we are to only enter a room with another staff member present. I failed to reach the student in his room and mobile phone and was working short staff so since I was on my own, I decided to pop up into his room and check on him. I arrived on his floor around 2pm and the floor seemed deserted as I had expected. I found his room number and immediately noticed the sound of a movie playing on a TV or a computer from behind the door. I knocked and announced that I was a staff member checking on his health and safety. There was no answer. I didn't think this was that remarkable. College students are notorious for leaving electronics running. I checked the floor showers and bathrooms and found them deserted. I returned to his door and knocked again, waiting about 20 seconds between each knock. No answer. This is when my instincts started to buzz. His family was concerned about his health and safety, electronics were running, summer school students and their idiosyncratic behaviour. Something wasn't right. I decided that for some sense of closure or sanity I needed the immediate resolution of keying into the student's room, even though I was by myself and not technically supposed to do so. I knocked on the door one more time for good measure, again announced myself as a hall director, 
and I keyed into the room and my spider senses went off. The room appeared relatively vacant. The student appeared to be living out of a suitcase. The bedding was tussled like someone had been sleeping in it and all the lights in the room were on. And as I suspected, there was an open laptop on a desk running on battery power playing The Matrix. I began to start rationalising to keep from feeling unsettled. Surely this student and I had crossed paths on my way to his room. I had never met him before, so I wouldn't recognise him otherwise. And perhaps he was just down in the lobby picking up delivery food for a late lunch. I turned to leave, planning to try and reach the student later that day. As I turned to leave, I noticed something else. The accordion closet doors, which are removed in most rooms due to disuse, particularly single rooms like this, were still in this room, and they were closed. I couldn't remember the last time I actually saw someone use those cranky, dysfunctional doors. Then my intuition spiked higher than ever. I realised I was alone in a room with a potentially suicidal student who may, in fact, have completed just that. And I am about to be that guy who discovers the body and then has a storm of paperwork and undesirable tasks, not the least of which was calling the family back to break the news. I felt like I was talking to myself and my voice cracked as I spoke to the closed doors and announced my name and title and that I would be opening the accordion doors in three seconds. I fumbled with the latch on the doors and finally managed to get them disengaged and as I slid the doors apart, I was unprepared. I tell you what I didn't expect. A seven-foot dark-skinned man staring at me embarrassingly as though I had found his secret hangout. We stared at each other for a good fifteen seconds without blinking, breathing, or speaking. All I could think to say was, Um, are you in here hiding from me? He looked at me and said, Yeah. My heart was still racing, and I turned to leave, and before I shut his door, I turned back to him and said, Call your sister. She's worried about you, and frankly, I am too. Well, thank you all for listening. Like I said at the beginning, and a few minutes to the end, please um, go check out some of these other narrators. Their links will all be in the description, um, and as always, thanks for listening. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.